God is a way maker, isn't he? And that's what we see in our scripture reading today as well. If you can open up your Bibles, turn to Psalm 124. A song of a sense of David. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have, hit, they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord God who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Thus ends our reading of God's salvific word. May all who hear it understand that the Lord is on their side. In an interview with the Chicago Tribune, Henry Ford, the innovator of the assembly line, the, the man who put an automobile in, in the driveway of every family, he had this to say when it came to history. History is more or less bunk. It is tradition. We don't want tradition. We want to live in the present. And the only history that is worth a tinker's dam is the history we make today. Now, around the same time, there was another famous quote from another famous man. Author and philosopher George Santayana held a different view when it came to history. He said this, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. So who's right? Is it Ford or Santayana? In the Bible, there are more than 250 references that speak of remembering. For example, when, when the psalmist Asaph was going through a bout of discouragement and wondering where his God could be, he, he penned these words. Look at, look at Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And meditate on your mighty deeds. Now, now the reason Asaph was recalling the past was to remind himself of the goodness and the power of his God. He, he, he wanted to have the confidence that, that, that Yahweh had not left his people, but that he was still on their side. Now compare this passage to the words that we read in the very next psalm. Another psalm of Asaph. Look at Psalm 78, verses 41 through 43. They tested God again and again and provoked the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember His power or the day when He redeemed them from the foe, when He performed His signs in Egypt and His marvels in the field of Zoan. And so here 
Asaph speaks of what happens to a people who forget. They become rebellious. They become sinful. They test the Lord their God by provoking him to anger. We live in a day and age when many people are following in the footsteps of Henry Ford. They are all about the present. They are all about the here and the now. They, they don't know about our past, whether it's our, our nation's history, or which is honestly relatively short, or let alone world history. I imagine that if you asked people today who... Who, who they thought that throughout history has had the greatest impact upon our world, my guess is that the majority of the answers that you will get would be people from the last century. People like Martin Luther King, people like Gandhi, or perhaps someone a, a bit more modern like Elon Musk. And while it is true that these men have had a great impact upon the world, there, there's a, a recency bias and answers such as these. And that's because we have a diminished sense of our history. We, we, we've lost connection to anything that has happened more than 100 years ago. And, and it truly is a shame. For, for so much of how we are shaped today comes from the thoughts and the, and the deeds of men who, who lived thousands of years ago. but we no longer reflect. We no longer remember. We, we are now in the fifth week of our hike up these Psalms of Ascent. The, these 15 songs that were sung by the Jewish pilgrims when they made their annual journey to the city of David. When they went to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the annual feasts. These were the short tunes that were meant to prepare a worshiper's heart before they came into the presence of God. And we've noted that all of these songs carry different themes. Some are, are bold hymns that, that cry out for God's justice. Others are, are glad tunes that speak of the joy that comes from the Lord. And then last Sunday we saw a lament, a, a cry for mercy as a repentant people could bear their suffering no further. And now this week we shift gears once again as we look at another happy tune. A, a tune that demonstrates the, the great deliverance that the Lord has brought to his people. This is a song of remembrance. This is a song of praise. This is a song that, that focuses the worshiper's heart upon the salvation that has come their way and upon the great Savior who is none other than Yahweh Almighty. And this could be plainly seen in our very first verse. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. Our, our author David wants his people to remember something. He, he has written this psalm in order that the, the people of God might take the time to reflect. In order that they might look to the, to the numerous deliverances that have come from their God throughout their history. That they might realize that he is on their side even through the darkest of times. This leads us to 
to the outline and the theme of our psalm. Now, now the way David structures his song is very simple. It's it's basically separated into two stanzas. The, the, the first five verses are basically a call to the people of God, not only to remember all that God has done for them, but then to praise his name because of his deliverance. Again, this is clearly seen in, in verse 1 when David cries out, Let Israel now say. He, he wants a response from his people. And that's what we find in our second stanza in, in verses 6 through 8. There we have the response of God's people to this call. And again, this is, this is seen plainly right at the beginning of verse 6 with the words, Blessed be the Lord. The people have heard David's words and his, his call to remember, his call to praise, and now they will lift up the name of the Lord their God. Now, now we can't be certain of this, but it's, it's very possible that when this song was originally sung, there, there would have been a, a soloist who, who would have belted out those first five verses, that first stanza, this call to God's people for remembrance, and then in response to the soloist call, the crowds would have sung in reply, verses 6 through 8. I would have liked to have been there to witness that song being sung. I don't know about you. See the joy on the people's faces as they remembered all that, the God, that their God has done for them. Now, even though this psalm is structured into two stanzas, we, we can break it down a little bit further. Stanza one can really be broken down into two parts. In the beginning, there are the, basically, you have an if statement and a then statement, right? And so, or, or rather, an if not statement and then a then statement. And so in verses 1 and 2, we have the if not. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. And then in verses 3 through 5, we, we see three different then statements. And, and all these and so all of stanza one is really about the, the disastrous possibilities that could have been, right? Had God not been on the side of his people. Now, now what's crazy about this is, is that in stanza two, we, we practically, practically see the inverse of our first stanza. In verse, verses six and seven, we discover the reality of what truly happened. There, there is no if then, rather we see the because. Because God was on our side, this happened. And then this reality is then followed by the people's praise in verse 8 as they declare to one another that God is the one who deserves all of the credit. Well, let's talk about the theme. What is the main takeaway that David wants those who sing his song to come away with? You know, we, we, we've actually already kind of hit on this, haven't we? For, for it comes to us from that repetitious praise that we see at the beginning of our psalm. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. 
David wants us to understand that, that Yahweh is the one who brings about deliverance to his people and no one else. We cannot save ourselves. We need God's help. And so he wants us to remember the Lord's salvation. And so with all that being said, let's, let's look at our psalm and see how this is so. Look at, look at that first section of our first stanza, the if not statements. Look at verses 1 and 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us. And so we see David setting up his argument here that salvation is from God alone. He's speaking of the, the reality that throughout Israel's history, the Lord their God had been on their side. And honestly, when you read through Scripture, this is an undeniable fact. In the book of Genesis, we, we see examples of God being with the patriarchs, with, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the men from which the nation of Israel came. And then in the book of Exodus, God was with both Moses and Aaron as they led God's people out of slavery and into the wilderness for 40 years. And it was in that wilderness that God had commanded Moses to build the tabernacle, where the, where the Lord's presence would dwell among his people as a pillar of smoke by day and as a pillar of fire by night. And then after Moses had died, God then spoke to Joshua, telling him to be very courageous as he led God's people into that promised land. He, he told him, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Then after the land was taken during the time of the judges, God was constantly demonstrating to his people that he was with them as he would raise up his judges in order to rescue them from the hands of their enemies. And even during our author's time, during the time of David, God was still proving that he was with his people as he had given David victory after victory after victory against, against the Philistines and against the other enemies of God's people. Israel had now grown to be a strong and vibrant nation. And as a result, David placed a great focus upon tabernacle worship. He, he understood that, that God had made his dwelling among them and, and that in response, the people should worship his name. And so from all of this, we can see that the people of Israel, particularly under the rule of King David, that they had a keen awareness that God was dwelling within their midst. They knew that he was on their side. And here in our song, David wants to remind the people of all of these things. He wants them to remember their history. He wants them to cry out, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. This call to remembrance is a call for us as well. We too are to look back and see how God has been on our side. Perhaps there, there were times in your own life where you have recognized the hand of the Lord was with you. Disasters that have been avoided near misses that you couldn't explain. 
But more than that, I bet, I bet that if you look back upon your life, you will see how God has directed your steps to his son in order that you might believe upon his name and find salvation. But you are to not just reflect upon your own life, but upon God's protection for his people throughout all of history. I hope you noticed when we were going through the book of Acts how, how God was on the side of his church, how, how he helped them to, to navigate and even thrive in the midst of persecution, how God was with Peter, how, how God was with Paul. And, and it's not just the early church. For, for we see God's salvific purpose in the lives of people such as Justin Martyr and Augustine and, and men like Athanasius and Martin Luther. Because God was on their side, each of these men were able to make great contributions to the kingdom of God. In fact, it is very probable that, that much of what they were able to do indirectly led to your salvation. Just as David reflected, just as Israel reflected, we too must reflect. But what did David want his people to remember? What, what, what do you say? When people rose up against us, he, he wanted them to consider how, how if it had not been the Lord who was on their side, when their enemies attacked, how things would have been different. But how would they have been different? Look at, look at verse 3. Then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And here we see the first of our three then statements. If not, then. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Now, even though David is, was referring to human enemies here, the metaphor that he is using is that of a wild and angry beast. That the enemies of God's people were acting like hungry predators, ready to devour those in front of them. David said that they would have swallowed us up alive. This is, the idea is, is one of a sudden and violent uprising against God's people. One can't help but to think of a, a lion or a bear, some ferocious beast that can come upon you suddenly with powerful jaws, ready to clamp down. An animal that, that if their teeth grabs hold of you, it, it spells your inevitable doom. Or, or consider Jonah, right? Who after being tossed into the waters was, was swallowed whole by the great fish. How quickly did Jonah find himself in the belly of that immense creature? This, this is what the enemies of God's people were like. They, they were savage warriors, ready to bring about utter destruction. And that's what David's communicating here when he, when he says that their anger was kindled against them. In other words, their motive was that of pure malice. 
Consider another psalm that, that had been written by David, a psalm that he wrote before he was king, when, when he was on the run from, from King Saul. Look at, look at Psalm 57, verse 4. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. You see, King Saul, out of his jealousy for David, wanted David dead. In fact, Scripture tells us that a harmful spirit was tormenting this king. This is why he, he, he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. It's why he then pursued David like a madman. It's why David had to flee for his life. It's why he had to hide out in caves like a common criminal. In many ways, what, what David is describing here, and what, what David is describing in our psalm, in Psalm 124, is a demonically influenced attack. Take, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, and, and notice who else acts like a savage beast. Peter says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls, prowls around like a, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Listen, the, the enemy of God's people attacks out of a demonic malice. The malice that they have for God's people. Their, their anger is stoked by demonic forces. And we as God's people, we need to be aware of this. We, we should realize that we do not battle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And yet, no matter how angry our enemies become, no matter how swiftly they bare their teeth, if the Lord is on our side, then they cannot touch us. Do you believe this? Consider Daniel in the lion's den. You all know the story. Look at, look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 19 through 22. Then at break of day, the king arose and went to, in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Could have been silence, right? There wasn't silence. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king, I have done no harm. You do understand that this isn't a story, that this actually happened, right? 
If God can shut the mouths of actual lions, then he can also close the fierce and angry jaws of our enemies. And we need to believe this. But a savage beast wasn't the only metaphor that David used, was it? Look at, look at our next two verses. Look at, look at the next if-not-then statements. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. I remember back in 2004 when, when the great tsunami devastated countries like Indonesia and Sri Lanka, India and Thailand. The mighty waves that came so quickly, that came so powerfully that nearly a quarter of a million people were simply swept away. I mean, this was probably the greatest natural disaster that we that we have seen since the invention of the photograph. And yet, even that catastrophe pales in comparison to the great flood that, that God had sent during the days of Noah. How there were none left upon this earth except for Noah and his family. Only they could escape the raging waters. Look at, look at Genesis 7, verses 11 and 12. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Water can be a powerful, powerful force. It can be an overwhelming force. And that's the point. That's the type of power that the enemies of God's people had. These people who rose up against Israel. But who is it that gives such power to these wicked nations? Look at, look at Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and, a and blasphemous names on his heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's. Its mouth was like a lion's. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. Satan is all about power. And he will extend his power to his own servants if it means they will do his bidding. And so the enemies of God's people, they become like these raging waters, these overpowering forces ready to drown all those who are in their path. And God's people would have been swept away had not the Lord been on their side. But the Lord was on their side, and they were not swept away. Instead, they remained. Instead, they were there right before David, singing his song. And that's why David now rejoices. 
Listen to another psalm written by David. A psalm that he wrote on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hands of Saul, that man who was pursuing him earlier. Look at, look at Psalm 18, verses 16 and 17. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. You see, when it came to his enemies, David understood that he was, was weak and they were strong. That Saul was too powerful and yet the Lord was very powerful. The Lord had rescued him. Yahweh had drawn him out of many waters. And this is true for all of God's people. Despite how destructive and overwhelming the enemies of God's people, the enemies of God's people can be, they can never, never break the dam of God's protection. They're not that powerful. And so we see that if the Lord had not been on our side, then this enraged and powerful enemy would have swallowed God's people whole. They would have been swept away. But that's not how it played out. That's not the reality. No, rather the truth can be seen in the next two verses of our psalm. Look at verses 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. And so David now starts this second stanza with, with words of praise. Blessed be the Lord. David knows that, that God alone is to be glorified. And that's because God alone is the one who provides rescue for his people. And because God is there, because God is on the side of Israel, we see the reality of Israel's history. God has not given them as prey to their teeth. Again, here in verse 6, David repeats the imagery that we've seen earlier. This imagery of, of a wild and enraged beast, an animal that simply wants to devour and consume. And yet, instead of the predator finding success, he is thwarted by the hand of the Lord. That is the reality of the situation. And yet, David isn't done with his metaphors now, is he? For we also see a third metaphor describing the truth of God's salvation. That it is like a bird who has escaped from the deadly snare of the fowler. Yes, because the Lord was on their side, the people of Israel have escaped. They were like a dove or some other small bird who had been trapped within the net. And yet the snare was broken and this bird was able to fly away. Consider this for a moment. I mean, what is a fowler? We don't typically use that word nowadays, do we? A fowler is someone who traps birds. <laughs> they, they, they use nets in order to catch them. And yet the only way that a fowler can truly be successful is if, if the, net, the net is strategically placed and, and the fowler remains hidden. And so the fowler will 
set this net in some open area, place some food in its center, hoping that the food will attract these birds. And then he will wait patiently in his hiding spot. When the birds come down to eat, when they come to the, to the center of that net, and once this fowler sees these birds there, he will, he will pull a string which will release a, a mechanism causing the net to fold upward, kind of like an enormous jaw trapping these birds within. And, and listen, once, once the trap has been sprung, these birds have no hope. They are unable to free themselves. And unless someone else comes along, someone willing to break that snare, then their fate is either to be eaten or to be sacrificed. Just like the angry beast, just like the powerful flood, there is no escape. Now, now if the wild beast represents our enemy's anger, and the flood represents our enemy's power, then this fowler represents our enemy's cunning. Again, there's something demonic about this, is there not? Wasn't it the cunning of the serpent that led to mankind's downfall in the first place? I mean, what does it say in Genesis? Look at, look at Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. This is what Satan does. He, he deceives and he traps. He speaks lies in order to ensnare. He, he's a trickster, right? Look, look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles, for, apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now, now, the context of Paul's words here is that of false teachers, right? These wicked men who, who want to entrap people into a false faith, a faith that will only lead to destruction. And yet, these men, they're, they're only following their master's strategy, are they not? They're following Satan's lead. Similarly, the men of old would use deception and entrapment to carry out their violent ends against Israel. And this is what David is telling us in our psalm. I mean, consider the time when, when Balak, the king of Moab, hired the prophet Balaam to curse the Israelites. He did so in order that he might overtake them in battle. Look at, look at Numbers 22, verse 6. Here, here's Balak sending a message to Balaam. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too strong for me. Maybe then I will be able to de defeat them and force them out of the country. I know that whomever you bless is blessed, and whomever you curse is cursed. And so you see the cunning of this king, do you not? He, he would use whatever means necessary, whatever advantage he could take in order to destroy God's people. He was trying to ensnare them into the fowler's net. And yet the Lord was on the side of his people and he would not allow 
the prophet Balaam to curse his people. In fact, instead of cursing, what did the prophet do? He ended up blessing Israel three times. Perhaps David had this in mind when he penned these words, when he said that we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. Because the Lord was on their side, the net had been torn, and they were able to fly free. Look at, look at Psalm 25, verse 15. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Or look at Psalm 91, verse 3. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. I mean, how many times had the people of God been, been surrounded by their foes? How many times had they been trapped with seemingly no way of escape? And yet the Lord had rescued them time and time again. And that's just it. The Lord is the only one who was ever capable of rescuing them in the first place. The people had no chance in their own strength. You see, this psalm is not just about the might of God, but it is also about the frailty of God's people. Israel was never a world power. They were never a mighty nation like Egypt, nor were they a vast empire like Persia. No. They were simply a small tribe that just happened to be chosen by their God. Look at Deuteronomy 7, verses 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You see, Israel had, had never earned God's favor. God, God never picked them because of their strength. He never picked them because of their cunning. Rather, in his mercy, God rescued them again and again. And again, simply because he loved them. And even today, God is watching over those whom he loves. And that is why we as God's people should remember. It's, it's why we should sing with praise just as David did. Look at this song of praise in our last verse of our psalm. Look at, it. Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Dear friends, there is a strength in the name of Jesus. And the enemies of God, they, they are powerless before him. There is no beast that can devour you. There is no flood that can sweep you away. 
And there is no trap from which you cannot be freed so long as the Lord is on your side. And if you are in Christ, well, then the Lord is on your side. Look at this promise in in Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. Look at this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding, indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Dear friends, the, the reason you can have such security is because God is on your side. He's on your side. There's no bully that's too big. God is on your side. And that's why we are to remember. That's why we are to look back. That's why we are to recall all that the Lord has done. Because salvation is from God alone. We must look to him for our rescue. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, well, then we would all be lost. But thank God that he is on our side. Let's pray. Father, we are eternally grateful that you you, the sovereign God, that you rescue us, that you do shut the mouth of the angered beast, that you do lift us out of the overwhelming flood, that you break the snare of the fowler's net, allowing us to fly free. Help us to remember these things each and every day in order that we might praise your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.